Welcome to the Cosmic Goodie Bag. My name is Carla Cherry. I am your host. We are talking with spiritual seekers about cosmic theories, their personal path and expertise. Our mission is to help people expand their consciousness and their awareness and provide tools to help them find their personal power. Do you want some personal power? I'm tired of watching superhero movies. Don't you want to have some little bit of that for yourself? It is Ascension Times, people. We'll be talking ETs, multidimensional beings, Parallel universes, we cover it all, it's all in the bag. Why am I doing this? I don't know, sometimes it's the red pill, sometimes it's the blue pill, sometimes you just slip and fall down the rabbit hole and you get a timeshare there. Hey, what's up everybody? I'm so excited for you to hear this interview. It's Paul Jasek. He is a friend, he's a tarot card reader, he's very funny, he's a comedian, he's just got it all going. And also he's really connected with the dead. Okay, here we are in the Halloween season. This is for you guys who are all into talking with the dead. Me personally, I'm not trying to hang out with a ghost. Like, I literally would hang out with an alien before I would hang out with a ghost. Ghosts scare me to death. I have a friend that was on a ghost and she's like, I just love going to this old hotel because this woman, she sits beside the piano. And I'm like, that's freaky. Why are you trying to stay behind that piano for 100 years? Go home, go somewhere else. Walk towards the light, Caroline. you know what I'm saying? Um, he talks about working for the Shine at the Shining Hotel. He talks about the comedy store. And I'm here to tell you that you're gonna hear some things you cannot unhear, okay? I was a curious cat, then I asked the questions. Now I can never unknow them. So if you wanna hear some spooky shit about the comedy store, it's in this one. He talks about how to treat ghosts good ones and bad ones, so you're getting a whole lesson book on that. He talks about stars and astrology and Mercury retrograde and what that means, all kinds of stuff. Look, let me tell y'all, here we are in the Halloween season. This is a treat for you, and if you're into dead people, this episode is for you. Paul Jasek is a naturally gifted clairvoyant and professional tarot card reader for over three decades. Paul is originally from Colorado where he learned the art of psychometry from his grandmother at an early age. He has a background in comedy, dinner theater, and an extensive resume of working in haunted venues, including the hotel The Shining was based on, which we will definitely get into. He is currently a docent at the Nearly Departed Tours here in LA. You may book a reading or workshop with Paul at the Liberated Emporium in Los Angeles. Welcome, Paul Jasek, to the Cosmic Goodie Bag. My goodness. Well, thank you, Carla. I'm very excited about this today. <laughs> Me too. Oh my gosh. So, okay. I, ha I did a reading with you recently, and what I loved about your reading was the humor. You're so funny, and I know that my guides and my higher power has a sense of humor. So it was awesome to see the humor really come through you, which I really appreciated. Well, thank you. You know, the other side, since they live basically in heaven, they don't have the concerns that we have. So they're very lighthearted about things. Um, <laughs> and we, we come, you know, especially people come to me and they want to talk to someone who has passed, you know, uh, uh, their grandmother or someone. And sometimes they're not available because they're not just sitting on a crowd plucking a harp, you know, <laughs> they're things to you too. And so occasionally when they do, and I'm not necessarily, I'm sort of a baby medium. I'm, I'm working with that, that uh, gift as well. But sometimes they're like, you know, you're going to be here in a minute. So I, re I really can't spend much time. You know, I love you. I'll talk to you later. <laughs> and when I gave that message to a woman, she goes, that is my mother. She didn't have time for me in life. I'm certain she's not that interested <laughs> in what we're doing after she's passed. That sounds so funny because my 
grandmother, when I did a reading after she passed and I talked to somebody, she was funny through the me and we had an argument through the media. And uh <laughs> and that's how I knew it really was her because I was mm -hmm. asking her questions she was refusing to answer and she was trying to tell me how to raise my daughter. So I was like, okay, this is this is 100% my grandmother. All right, so I want to go back. I ask everybody the same question. What is an early memory of yours where you just knew I'm a little different? Mine was very early. I must have been at least five or younger. Uh, I come from a loving family, and we lived in an, a big Edwardian nine-room house in a small town in Colorado. And after my mother would tuck me in, Another lady would sort of, I would just be about sleep, would either would tuck me in or lean over and check on me. And finally, I asked my mother, who's the nice lady that comes in and tucks me in after you do? And she's like, there's nobody there. And I'm like, no, she's really nice. And I just, you know, and she was having none of it. And it was years later, um, as I said, I grew up in a small town and it was my sister-in-law's mother who was the librarian for our town. And I was chatting about, and she said, oh, do you know the original builders of that house in 1909, where your bedroom was, was the nursery. And they lost their daughter in the flu epidemic. So mm. I'm certain she's coming in to check on you. Wow. So uh, I was never frightened. I was just aware. So that was a confirmation. Always, as a, a really empathic child, I think this is true of children. They run on their feeling anyway. As we become adults and our minds get cluttered, a lot of kids, certainly me, it was like, that's not what you're doing. That's not what you're feeling. That can't happen and stop doing that. And so I just shut it all down. It wasn't until I was in high school that I had a lot of time in study hall that I picked up a pack of tarot cards and I would read tarot during um, study hall when I should have been doing something else. I've never let schooling get in the way of my education. Right. <laughs> So, okay, you mentioned in your bio that your grandmother taught you the art of psychometry. Indeed. So, what set us set the stage for us? You're on a farm in Colorado, and what is what was she like, and what is psychometry? Okay, my grandmother on my father's side was a big, buxom Kansas farm woman, and I don't know that she went past the fifth grade in education. So, she was very tuned into the natural flow, especially in farming. So when we would have a few minutes, and she had no problem telling everybody that I was her favorite, and I was the youngest of quite a few grandchildren, but she would pick up an object and she would turn to me and she would say, tell me the story. And so I thought I was making stuff up, and she would nod to me and she goes, good, good to know. And it could, we could do that game anywhere, in the house, outside, it didn't matter. And I thought I was entertaining her. And so one day, she said, I want to show you something, and we picked up two sticks. And she put one in my left hand and one in my right hand. And she said, so if you're ever lost, you can find water. And I'm like, what? I must have been at least about seven or eight. And we started walking around the backyard and I could feel a tension in these two sticks. And the closer we got to the garden hose, the closer they came together. Are you serious? Said, I'm completely serious. And she said, when they cross, there's water there and you could dig. She said, there's water here because the hose is on. So now, I would play the game all the time. Go ahead. Wait, how did she learn this? How did, how, where does this come from? And what is her background? Where is she from? As I said, she's a, a big old Kansas farm woman. She grew up in Virginia and Kentucky before she moved to Kansas. So this is probably in the latter part of uh, the 19th century, first part of the 20th century. Uh, because my father was born 
1925. And she was, he was the youngest. She was married five times. <laughs> they really? kept dying. Wait, but this, uh, this gift of hers, did it come from you know, never, Celtic never to, or Native American? She just got it? How did, where did she get it from? Well, it was, once again, she was not uh, a terribly educated woman, but because she'd lived on a farm, and the, uh, the almanac was really her Bible. Wow. So when I asked, I remember asking her about that. She said, because these are living things, they were sticks. They'd been a tree. They naturally seek water. So that she reminded me that everything is connected, everything. And so I was, I was never very afraid of the dark because you might not be able to see what's going on, but the, the, the natural world supports you. Interesting. So wait, then she, did she learn this from her grandmother though, or did she just figure this out? I, I certainly must have been taught to her along the way. Um, but you know, especially in the earlier part of the 20th century, there, we still didn't have electricity everywhere. So people had to rely on what they'd been taught or what they knew. Wow. Um, she always got her hair cut uh, under a moon phase. She always consulted the almanac for timing. We should live our lives as if there is no time, but there is such a thing as timing. And that's why I find astrology so interesting. It's sometimes mind-blowing that the energy that is, is coursing over the earth wouldn't it just make a wise decision to go with the energy that's presented? What's an example? Oh, mm -hmm. Time and tide. You know, especially sailing or if you have a fisherman, it's good to know when the high tide and the low tide is because it will depend on where you can find the fish. Um, so we become so civilized and we become so sophisticated that we don't necessarily think that we need that information. Hmm. But I will tell you, the two things most people do is they will check the weather in the morning and they'll check their astrological sign in the paper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's okay. So, and then what's going on right now with retrograde? Everyone's, retrograde. Yeah. Well, there's a, a lot of confluence. Uh, it depends on your own individual birth sign. And that's the time your, your birth date was so anniversary based that, you know, another trip around the sun. So it depends on your sun sign, which is uh, where the, you were born, the day you were born. And also it's interesting where you were born and the time. Two babies can be born in the same hospital on the same day within 10 or 20 minutes, and they'll have completely different charts. Ah, interesting. Because so you have to know the, the exact moon. minute. Yeah, the, the moon, they're all moving. You know, life is always expanding. It gets a little mind-blowing. So... Currently, we are uh, coming, out, coming out of a full moon, and if we don't respond to the moon, I heard a scientist say, we're the only animal on the planet that doesn't, because it's true, especially for women, a cycle follows the moon. So when it's a full moon, this is a great time to release things. Many people do a full moon burning. Write down 10 things you want to get rid of and burn it under a full moon. First of all, it's elemental. You know, it's, it's one of the elements of fire. And it goes into the air, and Luna, the moon, will take them with her as she as she leaves. Okay. So, if you want something to manifest in your life, write down ten things under a new moon, which we can't see, and Luna will bring them gently to you. Her her power, her uh, influence is a gentle one. It's not the flaming bright sun. The moon moves a little easier, but but she moves very quickly around. Now we come to the we're in eclipse season, 
and a client told me this, and I love it so much. The moon sees everything, and she's flipping around the planet. She sees what's going on in Des Moines. She knows, who, you know, who's doing who in Argentina. I mean, she sees everything. <laughs> so when, when we have uh, an eclipse, then she has a moment where she comes face-to-face with the sun and tells him everything. Eclipses are all about revelation. It's about an enlightening, because now all is known, because the sun and the moon have seen the same thing. So with this eclipse that we've just seen, uh, a a lot has been revealed. So personally and also uh, socially. So then when we have retrograde, there's a lot of comments about um, Mercury retrograde and people flip out. Now, Mercury governs the sky. It governs uh, electricity. It is not a time to start new things. When Mercury goes retrograde, and we'll do it three times a year for three weeks, the best use of the energy is re regroup, reduce, rewrite, review. This is a time to clean closets. This is a time to refresh. The people, you know, we're all a little crazy. They're just moving along. It's not a time to sign contracts because with Mercury, it really doesn't move backwards, but it's in an opposition power. It's like a a game of, of telephone where I say, gee, you're really pretty. And you think you hear me say, gosh, you're really... <laughs> and then people get punched. Now, no one was wrong. They were acting out of what they thought they heard. So communication is always a little, a little screwy. Electronics ah. are a little screwy under a Mercury retrograde. So this is time to, to come back in your own square. And um, it's a great time to get rid of stuff. Reduce, reuse, review, recycle. That's awesome. So, okay, I want to ask you, when you were training as an actor, your unique gifts would show up. Can you tell me about that? What I love about the skill and the art of of performance, I also do work in stand-up comedy, and that's where this this ability really works, is when I walk onto a stage, I immediately case the joint. I can Mm -hmm. feel it. I can feel where the pockets of energy are different. And if you're doing stand-up correctly, it's never a monologue, it's a dialogue. I may be speaking, but the energy flow should be rolling back and forth between the two of us. There should be communication going on. If it's a monologue, we have a problem. Um, I've had the instance sometimes when it's going very well and the energy is just delicious and that feels terrific. At the beginning of my career, I used to depend a lot on how many laughs I got. And if I was not doing any comic work, their salt is going to tank and bomb sometimes. And it's not pleasant. So I remember walking out of the room and it had not gone well. And what my intuition quietly said is, well, the problem is you're you're working so hard to earn their respect Mm. as opposed to allowing them to get to know you. So in my mind now, at the back of the room, just past where I can really see in the dark, I imagine a table with all of my best friends mm. living and dead, and they get me. And so I actually play to them. So since it's, it, it's just a complete love fest all the way around, if the other people in the room enjoy it, then we all win. Oh, that's such a great trick. You know, it's, I do stand-up comedy as well, and it's interesting just studying the different... I almost get lost in trying to study the audience. You know, who's laughing. I especially am at the beginning of uh, doing stand-up and I started in a small southern town and I would notice that a lot of times the women or the girls would look to their boyfriend to see if it was okay to laugh. I don't know if you've seen that, but um, it's, it's bizarre. And then I, you know, my favorite laugh was the one where the woman or the girl couldn't hold it in. It was almost like a vomiting. <laughs> 
left her. And I was like, I'm going to get it out of you, girl. Like, you don't mm-hmm. have permission. Um, it's just super fun. But I love that trick. I love, like, you're playing to – and Jerry Seinfeld even said um, – you know, if it's all about you, then forget it. Like it's, it's a gift, it's giving. And so, so are you seeing the energy flow? Like, can you break that down a little bit more? I can, um, especially if it's a very dark room, you know how they will lower the lights. The darker it is, then I can watch the energy roll around the top of the room. That's so crazy. What does it look like? Remember back in the day when people had cameras that had flash cubes? Yeah. You'll see that brilliant fashion. If you're looking at it afterwards, the wavy lines kind of had to wait for your eyes to adjust. Yeah. That waviness is the energy I can see around the room. Is it a color? There's sometimes color. I, it's usually, it, now here's the deal. If I pay attention to it, if I change my focus and look at it, it will dissipate. If I, once again, the secret to a lot of things, just relax, I'm aware of it. And then I, I pay attention, I'm aware of it, not pay attention to it then I'll be able to see it clearer. Make is, sense? Yeah. If it, is it a certain color that is good and a certain color is bad? or It's like um, a stream. It's like always flowing. It may be a little orange over here and blue over here, but it's rolling around the room. I frequently say to my audiences, please look around. This may be the only time we're all together. Oh, yeah. Well, that's trippy. <laughs> that fun? Yeah, that is totally fun. Okay, so... I wanted to ask you, so when, you, so when you're training as an actor, though, you were, you were mentioning that to me earlier that sometimes the character would come in, because my daughter is an actress, and she's also an empath, so she's experimenting. She's young, so she's experimenting with different ways to get in touch with the character, and it, mm-hmm. sometimes it scared her because she did it almost too well, and then that person was hanging out with her, and you know, sometimes if it's a scary character, then you're in that energy, so she had to learn to clear it. But now she's figured out some way to do it so that she's not, you know, pulling in. Because you can pull in crazy energies. Absolutely. That's why I'm not a big fan of Ouija boards. People, and just human beings love to stare into the darkness. Right. You know, we're just fascinated with the darkness. We want to know what's going on. That's why I get, I get a little annoyed with the paranormal shows. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they go into a location and they start screaming at them. Show you. Don't yell at people. Dead or alive, it's just rude. (laughs) They're having a tough time as it is anyway. And now, you know, you're demanding that they move the doorknobs. Be nicer. Um, (laughs) That's so great. But but that's the same thing about uh, when when developing a character. I would do a massive amount of research. And when I started, I had to go to the library. Thank God for Mr. Internet, who is now all right there in your phone. Mm -hmm. But what I would do is I would begin the research about something. I did a play early on that was set in New York in the 1930s during the taxi strike. Which strike? And so the taxi strike. Taxi strike. Okay, sorry. The audio, our audio is, is wonky, so I'm just... Okay. I, okay. All right. I'll, I'll come a little closer. Okay, And ahead. so as I began to do that, I began to really get the feeling of what that was about. Now, I don't know if it was metaphysical or just natural. But the more that I got facts, the more I watched the movie in my mind, I began to understand him. And the, I had a wonderful director who the second day turned to me and said, um, before we start the scene, what's the quickest way to get to 33rd and 3rd from 54th Street? And I looked at him and I went, he goes, trust me, your character would know. Uh. He, he drives a taxi. So I went and studied the maps of New York. 
But then oh. here's what occurred is it became, became familiar. Later on, when I was a flight attendant and I would fly to New York, I now know New York like the back of my hand because another sliver of my personality was a taxi driver in the 30s in New York. Was that, was that based on a real story? It was based on an incident, but not the characters were certainly uh, not uh, real. I mean, they were they were in. Uh, but but mm-hmm. my question is, is you know, now I start talking to people about multiple dimensions. Um, I have someone I talk to believe that every character she draws actually exists somewhere. So I wonder when you're studying an. Um, a character that you're going to play in a TV show or in a movie yeah. or on a, well, this is a play or TV. I forgot. That was a play. This is a play. So do you ever feel like you, you're connecting to a character that may live in a different place? Do you get into any of that? Well, all thoughts are things. It's interesting. So we're all always bumping into thought forms. I know a woman who lived in the Bay area for years, for years and years, grew up there. And all of a sudden she was having, terrible problem with fear of going over the bridges mm. and it was flipping her out and in fact she said i've lived here my whole life but now we as we start to cross the oakland bridge she said i am out of my mind she's had mm. to she even made the choice to use some tra- you know chemicals some tranquilizers to be able to go back and forth across the bridge so we were talking about it she was you know and is it just because i'm getting old i said no what may have happened is we're always evolving you may be running into other people's thought forms that you're unaware of. Mm. Other people's fear, especially for people who are naturally empathic. So a question, especially if you're bopping through the day and you run into like, oh my goodness, check and see what's yours and what somebody else's. How do you check that? And how you do that is in the question, you instantly, if you're not emotionally attached to it, it's not yours. Ah. So that's why she was even confused. She said, I, as I've traveled these bridges forever, and now I'm afraid of it. I said, but see, that doesn't make logical sense. She said, because I started imagining all of these things about traffic accidents. And I said, but see, that's not your history. That's not you. So how does so, it break it down a little bit more? How does it get into your brain? Well, if in fact, that's why, especially if you've come to see me, I'm a big believer and it's necessary for morning meditation. Mm. We're going to ground you into this day. There's, we only have one day at a time. And within that, once you catch the balance within your own energy field, this sounds so woo-woo, and it's true, mm-hmm. um, then it's much less likely for you to catch other information because you're so fully who you are. If, in fact, like most people, we wake up with just enough time to throw ourselves through the shower, run a comb through our hair, grab something out of the clothes basket because you know you didn't put it away, <laughs> throw yourself together, jam it in the car, sit in traffic. You, now you are like a house with all the doors and windows open. Wow. So anything that's rolling by, you know, the poor homeless man next to you. In fact, I have such great compassion. Homeless people are kind of like a door, uh, house with all doors and windows open. Watch them talk. Is that them, or are they, is their system so broken and in trouble? It's uh, interesting, interesting to watch. It's like a radio, right? They're just picking up waves. Picking up any frequency, and it's, it's strolling through the dial. Yeah, yeah. I noticed that when I lived, when I moved to New York as a college student, I was like, "There's this is more than just what you know." I I would study them and watch them, and I was like, 
they're picking up. There's all kinds of stuff going on in their brain. Mm -hmm. um, okay, so I want to ask you, we got to get into the haunted stuff because I have, I know there's going to be listeners that are super excited to hear about that. So your first experience in a haunted venue, um, tell me about that. Well, it was my own house. Well, your own house. And then the second one was, I guess, the Stanley Hotel. Is that? Uh, well, I certainly picked up energies, but I don't know that I was as, uh, as finely tuned. So I worked at the Stanley Hotel uh, the summer after I came back from my first year at college. And tell and people what that is. What's the Stanley Hotel? The Stanley Hotel is in Estes Park, Colorado. It's a beautiful hotel uh, built in 1909 by the Stanley uh, Steamer Brothers, F-O mm -hmm. and F-E, because they had um, made a lot of money selling the dry plate photographic process to George Eastman of Eastman Kodak. Okay. And F.O. Stanley came down with tuberculosis. And Colorado was known for its high, clear, dry weather, which was helpful for people who suffered from tuberculosis. So they came west, they found this beautiful spot, and they built a gorgeous Georgian hotel. that um, did not have heat. It was only open in the summer. It opened on Memorial Day, and it closed on Labor Day for years. Mm. And it's a beautiful, gracious hotel. It also had the first elevator west of the Mississippi. And it was a hand-operated brass elevator. So come to my, the time I am there, and this has been the late 70s, quite a bit of history had gone on at the Stanley Hotel. And it was the summer after Stephen King had written his famous book, The Shining. Nice. Which, oddly enough, I've heard it in an interview, is his uh, experience with alcoholism, oh. which is a spiritual disease. Right. So... The Stanley Hotel has uh, a, a large main um, building and then a smaller replica of the main building and then a concert hall. And I was a houseman during the day. I was making beds, cleaning toilets, and then at night I was part of the dinner theater. I was the understudy for um, the son in um, Lillian Hellman's The Little Foxes. So I was there almost 24 hours a day. I ran across to where I was staying and slept at night, but got up early in the morning and came back. Now, how old were you? Eighteen, in, and then I came the next summer, so my eighteenth and nineteenth year. You were a baby. I well, yeah, and uh, there were different things that I I began to pick up when I would use a key. Back in the day, we had keys; they weren't electronic. I would open the door, and of course, the room's a wreck because somebody's checked out. So I would usually walk toward the bathroom. I remember this one morning, and I thought I was a little tired. As I did, the door swung closed. Mm. behind me and this is an old building not a big deal but what really surprised me is when I went back the chain was on the door I'm the only one in this room <gasps> oh my god so were you locked in well the chain was just on the door so I stood there for a minute and I went and I said absolutely not <laughs> you know just, just because people are dead doesn't make them interesting or kind okay so did you and just from there, there were just spot, there were cold spots. Mr. Stanley is frequently seen in the music room with his wife standing by the piano, so it just it just became a normal part of it. Now, um, much like another place that I worked at, it, it, they have haunted tours and they go down underneath the building. There are tunnels underneath the building, and it's a great marketing tool. Wow. So, w were you frightened? I mean, did did you because you grew up as somebody in your house who it was. Mm -hmm departed and visited you as a child, I guess you weren't scared of ghosts ever? You that, one startled me. that one startled me because I didn't do it and it seemed like it was wanting to be sort of possessive. But, right. you know, you have free will. Absolutely not. So that's how you deal with ghosts that are 
that are not nice is tell me how you deal with them. Well, it's an issue of power. Now, here's the difference between ghosts, spirits, and imprints. Okay. Um, ghosts generally don't know they're dead. Ah. So that's why they're, they're confused. That's why don't yell at them. If they're ghosts, they're already confused. If we're having this conversation, all of a sudden there's a rush of air. You know, I can still see you, but you can't see me. And then people are coming in and moving my stuff. Wait a second. What's going on here? And the best you can do is be a cold spot. It's very disconcerting. Many times that's why ghosts will repeat the last few minutes of their existence. Okay, I was talking to Carla and wait, no, was something happened? Okay, let me go back. I was talking and that can go on for hundreds of years. Oh, really? Okay, because I, I wanted to ask you that. Why, why so long? Like why hundreds of years? Well, to our time, but remember in the universe, there is no time. Right. So they're just trying to work it out. Now, spirits, sweet things. Let's, let's say I was very ill for a very long time and I pass and I go to the other side and all, it's so much fun over there. Oh my gosh, you love everything you do and you do everything you love. And immediately, immediately you go, I better let them know back home I'm okay. They just, they, I just need to let them know. So they, and they're shameless about letting you know from the other side. And generally it is a message of love. And how you know it's a spirit is when they, if they can do a full manifestation, that takes kind of a lot of energy. They look wonderful. They are whole, perfect, and complete. Usually ghosts, there's uh, especially like um, the ghosts that are seen at Gettysburg mm-hmm. are damaged. The last few moments of their, their memory was when they were blown up or their arm was torn off or they were, you know, so they appear hideous because that's the last um, spiritual memory moment they had of themselves. Well, why can't they bring themselves back to being a full spirit? I mean, why, why are so many ghosts stuck? And, like, do they not have a higher power? Well, they do. But they may, not, they may not have had a good spiritual foundation. That's why I encourage people to get a hold of that. Because when we have this happening with people that are walking around, uh, they, their lives are kind of going along the, the same direction. So if you don't know that there's some place to go, where to go? Now you're out of your body, so you keep repeating it back. The light is always waiting for you. That's why there are people who are basically soul rescuers through a medium or through a trance can contact them, calm them down and go, look over your shoulders. See that light? There are people there. Your mother's there. Go toward the light, and they will help people cross over. Oh, wow. So in a coffee shop that I go to a lot, it's a Cuban coffee shop, and they always have the owner who recently passed and a candle. And they believe that, and they keep the candle all day. Mm-hmm. And they believe, I guess, that that will help them cross over. Have you heard of this? Well, um, and the reason that many, many faiths use candles is that energy, once again, an element of the natural element, can be seen from the other side. Ah. Electrical lights cannot. Fire so you, can be seen from the other side. So therefore, that's why in, in the Christian and or uh, Catholic tradition, we light a candle for you. Oh, wow. That's, that's crazy. Okay, so I want to ask you about the comedy store because mm-hmm. you know, everybody who goes to the comedy store knows, or all comedians know that the rumor is that it's haunted. So you actually work there or you spend time there. And, I, and I, with your expertise, I want to find out what you saw and just give me some juicy stories. Oh, and, and I have them. So uh, I was made a regular the first night I ever did stand-up comedy. Bless Mitzi Shore. 
Wow. She, uh, I had three minutes of material and they asked me to walk over to her booth and she said, you're funny. <laughs> Michael, sign him up. Welcome to the car. Oh, wow. I went in the bathroom and threw up. Um, I, I never imagined it would be that quick. Well, the comedy store uh, was originally Stiro's nightclub during the heyday of Hollywood in the 40s and 50s. And uh, a lot of mobsters, if Mickey Cohen, who was a mobster in town, had a finger in the business. Mm. Now, there are many layers to the comedy store. There's the original room, there is the main room, and there's the belly room upstairs. Mickey opened the belly room for female comics. And I always thought, I thought belly meant like a belly laugh. Mm-hmm. That, you know, that's where like Joan Rivers and, and Whoopi Goldberg and all those ladies that helped kick the door open for female comics. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, a little set of bathrooms upstairs. But also, there's a little hallway that you go back to the green room, the manager's office. And back in the day, I was the receptionist during the day, and then I would do that at night. So it really oh, became wow. college for me. And the comedy store is black on black on black with red candles and red leatherette banquettes. Mm-hmm. But it's very dark. Yes. Even, even in the daytime, to walk from outside into the store was always your head, like, you know, your eyes had to adjust. So my desk was upstairs, uh, just just a little west of the belly room. And I would, I would answer 11 lines all day long of who was appearing, how much it cost, what was going on. But there would be moments I would sit there and think, I hear a baby. <laughs> what if somebody has a baby? This is so weird. So my boss, who was a, a no-nonsense kind of guy, and his office was just around the corner, and he was really adamant about having no one walk in. He didn't want comics coming in. He didn't want them hanging out. He had a lot of work to do. So one time I said to him, um, I know this sounds weird, and I'm sure it's just the wind, but do you ever hear a baby? He goes, oh, yeah, all the time. Oh, gosh. I said, why? Well, he goes, well, you know, the belly room was for belly dancers for the mob. Oh, wow. And uh, the rumor has it, the girls gave their own abortions in the bathrooms. And I'm like, Jesus. Oh, (laughs) Oh, Jesus. Oh, my God. So I remember having my head down. I was writing on my desk and I saw someone walk right ahead of me and walking to Michael's office. And I thought, "Uh oh, so I jumped up and ran around the corner. Now, Michael's door was about five inches thick. It was a steel door. It was a safe room for the mom. Wow. So it wasn't easy just to shut his door. So that's why he kept it open. But I was sort of the guard dog. And I went flipping around the corner. And he was writing. And I said, Michael, I'm so sorry. He said, why? I said, and I looked around. He goes, oh, someone walked in? He said, yeah, he goes, brown suit. <gasps> and I had seen it from, you know, the, and I said, I think so. He goes, sorry about it. It happens all the time. And I said, was it a ghost? He goes, I don't know. People say it all the time. He said, I've never seen it. But, but people have walked by. Who do you think it Finding was? Finding out later on, there are two uh, hitmen who work in the store, and they, they are ghosts. They don't know that they've passed on. They used to do some of the enforcement, and there is no money in this world that would take me down to the basement of the comedy store. Really? The energy is, it's, I'm, I was scared to death. Really? Just going by the door. But that's why they were doing a little enforcing, a little breaking <gasps> of knees, a little, was down in the basement. So other comedians and other wait, waiters and waitresses have seen two men dressed in 40 scarf, one in a brown suit, standing in different areas of the showroom and places like that. Wow. So, uh, yeah. Plus, you know, if we talk about death, how many comics have died on that stage? So. Yeah. Are you watching I'm Dying Up Here, the show that's... 
I have not yet. I know quite a few of the people that are associated with it, but I, uh, I have not watched it yet. It's interesting because in the, sh in the TV show, they're trying to clearly make you know that it's not about Mitzi Shore and the Comedy Store, but it's based on a book that's 100% about Mitzi Shore and the Comedy Store. So I guess people are trying not to get sued, but mm -hmm. I have friends that are obsessed with it. And, um, and I watched it myself. It was really good. So I wanted to ask you, you read cards that are, thank you for sharing that story, because I always kind of knew, but now I'm really freaked out. So I'm going to move on. <laughs> To the next question, um, so you can you do tarot cards? You do um, mythological cards. How how yeah. are you drawn to the mythology? And um, my cards that I uh, work with are mythic tarot, and they work with Greek myth Greek mythology and archetypes. Now, when I was a kid, as I talked about this, uh, my sister in law's mother was our town librarian. She used to say, "You can be the second greatest authority on any subject by a day in the library." So I remember a large book that were, was all about Greek mythology, and it had great color plates and, and interesting statuary, and I was fascinated with it. So when I began reading professionally, I found the Mythic Tarot, and I had, I had been trained on the Rider Waite deck, which many people still use. It's a, uh, very common, and I love the imagery there, but I, I just sort of love the Greek mythology. And so they've been my dear, sweet friends for 30 years, so that's the ones that I, I work with. So it's interesting because I just was, um, I interviewed somebody who was talking about fairies and, you know, I just opened up my mind to, I never thought of fairies as being real. I just, we're so taught that fairies are fiction and we're also taught that, you know, myths are fiction. Where, where do you fall in um, with the idea of them being real or fiction? Storytelling is so important. I think it goes along with um, our souls are hungry for the sacred. We're mm -hmm. also hungry for information. So whether it's true or not, sometimes isn't as interesting as how it impacts you. Mm. The myths that we see are usually about the human struggle and about divine power, a divine intervention. Even if we go along with stories when we come to the Christic perspective, I love the story of the Master Jesus. Who, who's had such a great message of greater things shall you do. So the story is what we're looking for, whether it's real or not. What's interesting is, is it honest for you? Mm. Because your truth and my truth may be different, but you can tell them people are being honest across the board. Right. So I, I love stories. I love comparative theology. I sort of identify as a Buddhist Episcopal Jewish Wiccan. <laughs> all of the, of the holidays off but um <laughs> but i'm looking for the through line of that we are all one that we're coming for this experience and when you imagine how large the human experience is how do you fit it into a hundred years mm. it's amazing so isn't it nice you may have the opportunity to come back so what do you think your purpose is um on this go around i actually uh work for that in meditation and it seems that the theme for my life is Adventures in discovering just who I am. Oh, wow. That's sort of the theme. And I love that it's adventures because I, I literally have had a thousand jobs. I've worked everywhere. I, I haven't been a florist, but, uh, you know, uh, that's coming. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and it surprised me recently. I, I had sort of a landmark birthday. And it was a bit of a shock because I thought, really, I have, I'm in the last third. I just turned 60. Mm -hmm. And at, first of all, I never imagined that I would live this long or look this good. And, um, 
But within that, it, how, how do you fit all this experience into a quick hundred years? Right. So as I've done some research and worked with different metaphysicians, I, I do believe we come back. I do think that there are things that um, we work out each time. It just seems to make logical sense. When I am questioning something, if it's limitless or it seems open-ended, seems to be truer than jamming things in a box or, or deprivation or there's only, uh, only so much or not everyone can play. It just doesn't seem to be uh, enriching or part of the uh, real experience of being human. That's great. When you see guides, did you, when did you first start seeing your own guides and when did you first start seeing other people's? Because I began as an actor so early, so I don't actually see with my eye, I'm aware of them in my mind's eye. And I, I was very concerned. I wanted to know them pers the, what personality, what is going on. With your own and, personal guides. Yeah. yeah. Are you George Washington? What is happening here? And they were much more lighthearted, like, well, you can call us that, but the deal here is, you know, you need to tighten up your discipline. I'm like, well, wait, no, tell me the lottery numbers. They're like, that's, you're missing the point. Mm -hmm. Why would you have a bunch of paper with dead notables on it? Why don't you do something that is more soul enriching? That's one of the reasons you came here. So when I'm in a reading and I'm discerning energy, how, I, I'm, I'm fascinated how many different ways the infinite presents themselves in a guidance sort of way. Okay. And once in a great while, my, my clients will say, well, well, you know, is it my grandmother? Maybe, maybe not. But uh, what's more important is the infinite. It's much more the message than the messenger. The message but is more important. But sometimes, uh, because they have such a great sense of humor, they will give me an archetype or a type of, of person. Sometimes it is, it is the mother image. Sometimes it's a grandmother image. Sometimes it's a very firm businessman. If you need to keep your stuff together, uh, I've had this guy show up a couple of times in a great business suit going, this is what's necessary and this is what we need to do. You know, uh, they're not all just sitting around, as I said, fucking harps. There, there's lots of work to do because the other side is not that far away. It's three feet above earth. Uh, it's a vibration. It's a what? It's, not, it's vibration. Um, you know, when you look at a fan, when the fan is off, you can see the individual blades. When the fan is on, you can see through the fan. Mm. And that's really what the other side is. They are vibrating at a higher frequency, but it's like an old overhead projector. It's overlaid earth. So everything that we have here, they have over there, minus the pollution and the nasty. Right, right. So do, do your personal guides change, or do you think you've had the same ones all the way through? I have one that I think we made the agreement that it was they would be my spirit guide. Okay. But the rest of them have been very interchangeable to different parts of my life. It's interesting, uh, especially when I go into a project, when I begin to write, all sorts of energy shows up. Really? Yeah, and are you calling them in? I always am very respectful of when I begin a project, especially when I write, that I, I do my 50% and they join me in the middle with their 50%. Oh, wow. That's great. So... Um, and when you, can you just expand a little bit more on you seeing, seeing them in your mind's eye versus your eyes? Well, for them to manifest, to actually have a full body manifestation, whether it is uh, a person who has passed or an energy that's here to help you, they have to slow their roll down and have a lot of energy with which to do that. Okay. So, so if I can raise my vibration up 
through meditation, through grounding. It makes it easier, and it's easier to see in my mind's eye. And then we can get to the work at hand. But my own personal guide who is back and forth, in the arguments I've had with with them, I've never really gone for personality. Sometimes it feels like the meanest choreographer I ever worked with. Um, Because we're here again. Your selfish, self-centered attitude has brought you to this point. Let me help you from here. It's very clear. Oh, wow. So what are you working on now? I have several writing projects that I'm doing um, that I'm very excited about. And, you know, we're here at the midpoint um, for folks that will listen to this later. And it's amazing to me as I have had this realization that for this, I'm in my life, you know, I'll, I'll probably hang for another 30 or 35 years. But um, there are some things to attend to. So I have this, this uh, it's not panic, but this need to accomplish and finish, which is really sort of the natural role for life. You know, there's a natural flow. You know, it's, it's harvest time. Mm. So, uh, so I'm, I'm writing. I have about three writing projects, and I'm doing some performing next week. And then I have my regular client list that I tend to, and and laundry, and walking a dog. <laughs> so, where can we um, see you perform next week, which is August 11th, August 9th? Excuse me. I will be performing at Palermo's on Vermont for my friend Cha-Cha Sandoval, and I'm doing a little stand-up there. Nice. And uh, it's a great little show. And uh, there's some some club dates that are coming up uh, later on in October, November. They just haven't been solidified just yet. Okay, perfect. And and we can find you on your Facebook? On my Facebook page. Look for Paul Jacek, J-A-C-E-K. That's me. Okay, perfect. And then if people want to um, hire you for a reading, which I highly recommend because I – I thoroughly enjoyed mine and I'm coming back myself. We can find you at the Liberate Emporium. Indeed. Okay. And I also, I also do private parties, so you can instant message me on Facebook. I love doing people's parties and as we swing towards the hol- um, holiday season. That, what'd you say? I'm sorry. Grab a hold of me. Grab a hold of him. Yeah. That to me would be, you would be an amazing asset to any holiday party because you're so much fun and doing people's readings, like I highly, highly recommend that. So definitely check him out. Well, Paul, it has been so fun talking to you. I could talk to you for hours. Um, I really appreciate your time. Thank you. My good pleasure. I've had such a good time, Carla. Good. Excellent. I've learned a lot. I can't wait to re-watch this or, and re-listen because I've learned so much talking to, with you. So thank you. Have a wonderful day. And I'm going to see you soon. Yes, you will. I look forward to it. Okay. Bye. Bye now. Okay. So that was my interview with Paul Jasek. What a hoot, that guy. I, I just love him. He's so funny. And he, if you have guides that have a sense of humor, he will definitely pull it out. Um, I did warn you all about that comedy store stuff. So do not say I did not warn you. Um, what else? Okay, we're on iTunes now. So, hey, subscribe. Leave a review. Get crazy. Um, don't get too crazy. <laughs> anyway, happy Halloween season. I hope all of you who love ghosts and stuff um, dug that interview. I have another one coming up. I have a very special interview coming up next. So, show your love, as Steve Harvey used to say at the Apollo. Uh, yes, I did go. Um, in the 90s, yes, I did. Um, show your love, people. Okay, thank you.